So we continue. I want to share a story from one of my favorite teachers, Ramdas. Uh, this is before the stroke. I, I, he's the best storyteller of anybody I know. This was in San Francisco, and this was back in the 60s. And he got rather large crowds, and he was dressed in white and had a full beard, and most of his audience dressed in white had full beards as well. And, um, and so he was talking, and he was talking about some LSD experiences. And the whole group was sort of going along with his experiences as if they had had the same ones or similar. It was the 60s after all. And, but right in the front row was this very mature woman, probably in her 70s, and she had professional black lace-up shoes on and a little straw hat with fruit in it. And she was listening and nodding in all the right places as if she knew what he was talking about. Now, he loved to hug everybody after his talk, so people would just line up to hug him. I generally shook his hand. I wasn't into hugging. I saw him twice. And it was her turn. She's up. And he said, I have to know. She said, what? Did you follow what I was saying? Oh, yes, it made perfect sense. You're very good. And he said, how do you know? How do you know? And she said, I crochet. <laughs> so there are many ways to meditate. <laughs> Mindfulness meditation is, is a little different than the Samatha meditation we're talking about. Samatha meditation is fixed concentration, longer and longer periods of time focused on the object of meditation. Mindfulness meditation, on the other hand, is momentary concentration, laser-like, but just for a moment or two, and then back to a general awareness. Four kinds of mindfulness meditation, mindfulness of the mind, mindfulness of mental objects, mindfulness of the body, mindfulness of sensations. I'm going to talk about the sensations. There is a technique called scanning where you start at the top of your head and scan to the bottom of your toes. And you go up and down, up and down, looking for sensations. You're always going to find some. Buddha said we have three sensations, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. You would simply note the sensation, putting them in one of those three categories, and then go on to the next sensation. And you go up and down, up and down, 20 minutes, half hour. And then you would go into a deep state of reflection on the sensations. I like the word rumination, as cows chew their cud. And you would see if you could see the three aspects of Buddhist wisdom in any of these sensations. So the first aspect of Buddhist wisdom would be anicca impermanence. Did any of these sensations exhibit impermanence? And if you thought about it, you'd say, yeah, yeah, uh, none of the sensations really lasted very long. They would come and go. And the intensity of the sensations would come and go. So you would have to come to the conclusion that all things, 
as far as bodily sensations are concerned, are impermanent. And then you would take that meditation insight and apply it to the world around you and say, are all things in my world impermanent? Now, if we're meditating, if we create our world, if the only world we know is found in this fathom-long body, and if it's been our experience through the observation of sensation that all things are impermanent, the only conclusion we could come to is that, yes, the world I create is impermanent. Is it impermanent without your creation, without you participating? Does anything stay the same very long? Well, if you've been watching Cosmos on Fox, you would realize that expansion, contraction, it's always moving, either getting bigger or getting smaller. But it never stops and it never stays the same very long. And in coming to the conclusion that all things are impermanent, it might lead you to understand that clinging and holding to things you don't want to change is only going to cause you more suffering, not less suffering. That we have to figure out how to let go. And that's a difficult practice to do. Now we look at the sensations and see if we can come to the conclusion, as did the Buddha, that all sensations are ultimately unsatisfactory. Well, you heard me speak about pleasant sensations, that there's pleasure of the body and there's happiness of the mind, so not all the sensations are unpleasant or unsatisfactory or filled with suffering. But when you apply impermanence to all sensations, and realize the good ones are going to have to change and can't last very long, then ultimately it would be appropriate to say that sensations will be unsatisfactory sooner or later. It's sort of a little bit depressing to, to think about, you know, every sensation we're going to experience will ultimately change and become unsatisfactory. But it could lead you to want to do the experience and not hold on to it, to experience it fully, to invest yourself in every experience you have, realizing it's only going to last for a short period of time, that being relative as well. And so people sometimes come to the wrong conclusion that Buddhists are against happiness or fun or things that give pleasure, but I would say absolutely not. Buddhists jump into it 100%, but don't expect it to last forever. And when it does go, there doesn't seem to be as much sadness or regret. It's simply how things have always been. Then we come to the last and, and most difficult one of all is that uh, Am I involved in any of these sensations? Do they exist apart from conditions? Do they have their own special essence? Do they have a quality one might call soul? And the Buddhist would come to the conclusion, because all things are impermanent and ever-changing and in process, that 
no sensation would stand apart from the conditions that created it, which would be one of the prerequisites, I'm assuming, if one wants to have a soul. And I'm not telling you not to have a soul. But what I'm saying is in our meditation practice, we, we realize that all these sensations arose because of conditions. So the sore knee that I have after sitting on the ground for 20 minutes is there because I sat on the ground for 20 minutes. If I hadn't sat on the ground for 20 minutes, my knee might have not felt great, but it would have felt different. And I see people all the time trying to use conditions to change the unsatisfactoriness. So they're sitting on the ground cross-legged and all of a sudden they move one leg and then they move the other leg and then they move their arm and then they adjust their back and then they adjust the way their head is and then they go back and move the leg again. Running away from the discomfort of having a body and having it sit for long periods of time. Trying to use every condition they can think of to alleviate the pain and it turns out to always fail. So I don't care how many times you move during a meditation practice, you're not going to be comfortable. But that's not the point of meditation. So now, as a Buddhist meditator, we might say, well, what's the quality of this discomfort that I'm feeling? This, this sensation. What, what is this, this thing that, that seems to be so real as I sit in meditation? And because it's simply a sensation we could say we have given that sensation a value. We have given it a good value or a bad value. And we have labeled it. We have labeled the bad value, bad sensation as pain. And, and once we call it pain, what we've done is, is, is solidified the process of sensation. And it no longer becomes easy to deal with it. So we might imagine a harness of some sort in our mind that would have wooden frame and we'd have cloth and ropes and if we could just arrange our legs in the appropriate way using this harness, we could sit as long as we wanted and never had to suffer. And then the gong rings and you realize you were just daydreaming and would never be able to make that kind of harness anyway. So the meditator might say, what happens if I don't name it? What happens if I just feel it? What happens if I keep it as a sensation and not as a painful sensation? What happens if I say it's just a really, really, really strong sensation? We've had pleasurable sensations that have been really, really, really strong. And we've labeled them pleasure. And we, conversely, we've had painful ones. But how about if we just keep it sensation? <clears throat> How about if you just imagine your body sort of pulsating with sensations? Not good or bad, but just as a sign of life occurring, if you will. So then you can work with it. Then you can sit for a really long period of time with that sensation. But as soon as you label it pain and it solidifies into a problem, you're sort of doomed. And no matter, even if you sit in a chair after that, it's not going to be comfortable. Then, is life meant to be comfortable? We are running away from pain all day long. You know, adjusting our body, adjusting our mind states, trying to find that perfect balance, 
preferably with a little more pleasure and a little less pain. And, and we never seem to get to that place where it's just perfect. And if we do, it doesn't last very long. I thought to myself, wouldn't it be nice if I didn't ever have to pee again? <laughs> so I'm going to just stay in bed one whole day and not pee. Well, about four hours into my day, you know, and, and it started as a sensation. And then it started to sort of pulsate, you know, just to remind me that it was there and I needed to do something about it. And, and then after a while, it seemed to go away. And I thought, ah, see, success. But it wasn't long after that that it came back even worse, twice as bad. Just really saying, you need to take care of this. You can't ignore me anymore. And, and I realized that most of my day is, is body and mind telling me, you've got a situation. You can't ignore this. It's too hot. It's too cold. You're thirsty. You're not thirsty. You've got to be there. What time? It, all these things. But they all seem to start with sensation to get my attention. And then I seem to be able to formulate most of the time, an appropriate response. So, is there anybody working in the background? What is this magic show I call me? Meditation allows us to pull the curtain aside and see how the tricks are done. See this ego, this wonderful sense of ego, and how it creates the world moment by moment for us. It doesn't go away once you've seen it. You can still appreciate the magic it does. But now, as if you've seen a magician do his tricks, you're not quite as surprised and the mystery isn't there any longer. You've seen how it's done and it gives you an opportunity to see how to undo it or to simply experience it. So we have these three aspects of Buddhist wisdom impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, and not-self. That there's no puppeteer, no one pulling the strings. Now having said that, I was at a Buddhist Catholic meeting at UCLA and we were speaking to a bishop who had attended the Second Vatican Council back in the 60s. And it would change the whole Catholic Church. And so the, the, the Catholic students were eager to ask him some questions. And one of my favorite questions was, why does God let humans suffer? Why does he let them go through such terrible experiences, sometimes life-ending experiences, when he could do something about it? Why? And I thought, this priest is going to have a tough time answering this one. But it came out so easily. He said, God has given you a choice. He doesn't want you to be a puppet pulled by strings. I thought, how Buddhist is that? <laughs> There's an accountability. It's not, you're not suffering because God wants you to. It's because you might have made the wrong choice. So... I see this insight that comes from both forms of meditation, 
which ultimately leads to permanent freedom, freedom from suffering. It's a slow, methodical process that is not linear, that happens moment by moment in very special and magical ways. And you start to evolve as a human in the best way and in an accelerated way. I've often wondered why this isn't spoken about more in schools or industry, business. And it seems to me, and it might be paranoia from watching Brave New World in 1984, that they only want to take us so far. That our culture says, okay, we're going we're to take you up to here, where you can produce and consume and be happy. But we don't really encourage you to go any further because it might lead to some aberration. You might start behaving in ways we can't pretend to know or formulate or control. And so my meditation teachers told me that, you know, this is an accelerated personal evolution, this meditation practice, which will take you much closer to your potential as a human than if you've never done it or never did it. And most of the people in the world are not going to meditate. They're not going to meditate, and if they do, it'll be occasional meditation, which could be called contemplation or prayer or reflection. But they're not going to do it in a way that really drives this evolution, that really starts to make you more than you could have ever been, which turns out to be less. Less greed, less hatred, less delusion. So I'm all for meditation, and I'm all for any kind of meditation, and they all have benefits, and they all have downsides, and they all have side effects. And if you're meditating and your partner isn't, there might be some issues. When you start to see and they're still asleep, there might be some issues. And, and that's fine. Oftentimes opposites you know, are even better together than those who are similar. Who's to say? But it will allow you a certain level of aloneness without feeling lonely. Because you're always manifesting in unpredictable ways. Life is never boring again. <laughs> I'm going to stop there and ask if anybody has any questions. And then I'd like to do five minutes of meditation. Because this has gone by so fast tonight. I don't know if you felt that, but I just... It's like, where did the time go? Yes, go back to the front. How did you meditate every day? Do I meditate every day? I used to. Now I'm too busy. Isn't that just the way it works? Let me tell you what the model is. And I use the Buddha as an example. The Buddha did not meditate for 29 years. The Buddha meditated six years with great intensity and achieved his perfection. And then he meditated after that, but, but, but in a different sort of way. A lot of people meditate to get to a certain place, whether it be peace or 
balance, whatever you want to call it. Then the idea is to leave the mountain and go back into the city. Because there are a whole lot of people who really need an example of peace and serenity and kindness and compassion. And sometimes you get involved in just doing a whole bunch of stuff, like you have a business or you have your own practice or whatever it is, and son of a gun, you start to realize that in your life you had a specific amount of time really set aside for real practice to get the job done. And, and now your life is sort of gravitated into how can I be of service? You still meditate, but not with the intensity, it seems to me, or sometimes the regularity that you used to when you were in training. And that's why it's important if you start to meditate to do some retreats, to start maybe once a day, once every other day, and then do a weekend retreat or a week-long retreat where you have hours and hours of meditation to sort of supercharge your practice. And then when you go back to your half hour a day, it's a piece of cake. And you start to see that you've made progress, but not in the way most of us think progress occurs. You, you've made progress because you are more connected, you are more aware, uh, you are more balanced. And, and so it's an interesting, ironic turn of events when the guy says, yeah, I used to meditate a whole lot but now I'm too busy doing other stuff with people who are suffering. <laughs> so you never want to forget your own practice, but sometimes the practice of being a service takes the place. Yeah. Yes? You covered, I was going to I did, you okay. Yeah. And then, and then they say mindfulness practice should be practiced all day, every day, without taking a formal position on the floor. So there are ways to meditate without having to look like you're meditating. I call it sleep, but that's just me. <laughs> so five minutes. We're going to go a little over tonight. I hope that's okay. But just, just for five minutes, what I want you to do is sort of sit up, put your feet flat on the ground. You've heard all these concepts now about what meditation is and, and how to do it. Now, how does it feel? So for five minutes, let's see how all this stuff feels that I've talked about tonight. And if anybody becomes enlightened, they get a free cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs>